Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or whenever you should happen to find this. Welcome to the 22nd episode of the Quote of Arms podcast, where we talk about our favorite tribes, what makes them special, and <clears throat> what makes them unique to us. I'm here today with... Hi guys, my name's Christian. I'm a marine biologist and I've been playing merfolk for a really long time. So you observe the fishes and then you build decks around them, eh? Exactly. Awesome. So the tribe we're here to talk about is... Merfolk. Yeah, absolutely. And it was kind of said already. But, <laughs> and it was kind of said already, but I, I, I'm i a little bit of a, you know, OCD and I have to go by the same script and such. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <clears throat> let's start from the top down. So we got... So, you said you're a marine biologist, we talk about merfolk. Merfolk are also referred to as fish in the game. Yeah, pretty much. There are some creatures <laughs> that actually do have fish as their creature type, like sharks and stuff like that. A but generally, piranhas. if you're referring to a tribe as fish, you're <clears throat> talking about merfolk. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the magic vernacular there. So, why do you think merfolk are called fish? Well, merfolk are generally represented by aquatic humanoid creatures that are heavily inspired by fish. So, you know, they breathe underwater, their mechanics are very tied to blue mana, and they're really identified as the fish race in popular culture and um, magic. Absolutely. So... And there are different kinds of merfolk. If we're going at the aesthetic angle, if we're looking at the art, <clears throat> how are merfolk like in the traditional or like the the traditional sense of merfolk different from say, marrow, which are technically also merfolk. So, in popular culture, merfolk are almost always described as uh, having the torsos of humans or human-like <clears throat> creatures uh, with the tails of large fish. So, you know, you're thinking about the mermaids from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire or uh, from The Little Mermaid, stuff like that. But yeah, the I mean, merfolk what jumps to my mind is magic... From... What works to my or what jumps to my mind is from uh, Futurama when they talk about how, yeah, I wish it was the other way around because it doesn't quite work. Oh, that was a Family Guy episode. That was the one when uh, Lois killed Stewie. Um, well, th that was where they 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 actually created that, where it was the fish on top, human on bottom. But on yeah. Futurama, that they had the city of Atlanta uh, sink. And, oh, that's right. <laughs> and Fry tried to. Uh, engaging carnal relations with a uh, merfolk just to find out it didn't work the way he wanted. Yeah. And, you know, you've got... <clears throat> the merfolk in magic are more often seen like how Aquaman would be a merfolk or the character from The Shape of Water, how they have legs, they're still aquatic, but... And they have gills and stuff like that, but they can still go on land. Might depend uh, a little bit on the plane because I'm looking at Tatiova and I think she has a, a uh, like a almost an eel-like tail. Yeah, and like Lord of Atlantis is another one that commonly doesn't look like the other merfolk except in Judge promos. Um, in most cases, he looks like a classic merfolk with the giant tail. Mm -hmm. um, but if you look at others like Master of Waves or. Pretty much any of the Ixalan merfolk, uh, they look very different because they are much more humanoid and uh, they walk on two legs and travel on land as well, just near bodies of water. Hmm. Interesting. <clears throat> and then we get to the marrow. Yeah, so marrow are kind of... So those are from Lorwyn and Shadowmoor, and they often are more monster-looking merfolk. They have the sharp teeth and sharp claws and look more like deep-sea fish than um, regular fish. When you look at, like, Mara Rigeri, 
especially the Friday night, or not the DCI promo, and he's got the long tail, but he looks like he belongs from a much darker part of the ocean. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, so yeah, uh, and I think it changes a little bit also, not just based on location, but based on color pairing. Yeah, that is also true. <clears throat> and so, um, merfolk is pretty heavily in blue and green, but there are merfolk represented in all five colors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's basically blue and then splash everything else. It's kind of how it works. Um, it's pretty heavily in green at this point. It mm-hmm. used to be mostly blue and then splashing other colors. Um, on Shadowmoor and Lorwyn, it was split where Lorwyn had blue and white. And then Shadowmoor, which was the same plane, but like one was nice and pleasant and one was evil. Um, they turned into blue and black. And each time they're represented in Magic's history they tend to have very different focuses based on that color pair. Mm-hmm. So how do those focuses kind of change? <clears throat> so, for one thing, blue and red especially just is not the color that merfolk tend to exist in. There's only five in Magic's history, mm-hmm. and two of them are legendaries, that do non-Merfolk things. So one of them is Dalakos, who from Theros Beyond Death, who interacts with artifacts and just is a blue-red creature, and it just happens to be a Merfolk. Mm-hmm. And Jory and Ruin Diver, which has to do with um, casting second spells per turn, and that's kind of just a general theme that Blue and Red does, and it's another creature that supports that. But blue and white um, focused a bit more on the merfolk synergy. So a lot of the white cards will create a merfolk token when they become tapped, or when they you cast a spell and create two merfolk tokens. Or Sig River Guide is a popular commander that the professor often plays which is target merfolk gains protection from the color of your choice. So it is heavily leaning towards merfolk synergy and tribal synergy. But then when you go to Shadowmoor with blue and black, there isn't really any synergy among the merfolk. There's some synergy with rogues, with... Uh, being unblockable and supporting rogue synergies or unblockable synergies, um, like Zerasan, the trickster, which uh, gets bonuses for having rogues that deal damage or Sig River Cutthroat. But they don't re- you don't really see any blue or black, a uh, blue and black merfolk that care about other merfolk specifically for tribal synergies. So when we're talking in Commander the question you're usually debating is do you want to go mono blue blue and green blue and white or band mm-hmm. <clears throat> and if you're going band i think you have to go with a non-merfolk commander i think yeah so if you're going band um <clears throat> the only merfolk commander that you have access to is tuvasa which oh, okay. similar to blue and black weirdly enough it doesn't care about merfolk at all. It only cares about enchantments. Um, and so with blue and white, you have to choose Noyandar if you want to use a merfolk, or Sing if you want to use a merfolk. Um, so there are very limited choices for commanders, and most of your choices for Bant especially are going to be things like Chulane, which just gives you access to the white merfolk, but as a commander is just general good stuff and isn't actually supporting merfolk. Or you might go with a partner pair like Thrasios and Ravos or Timna, which are the two 
common partner pairs on EDH rec, but um, you could do something differently as well. But once you start leaving blue and green, you are much more going to be looking at non-Merco commanders. Absolutely. Now, <clears throat> it doesn't mean there aren't some enchantments that could be really helpful. Like, uh, one of the things that Merfolk like to do is uh, be a little bit sneaky and get in there for little bits of chip damage or even, uh, even for a lot of damage. What are some of the ways that Merfolk sort of get around some of those bigger creatures? So, <clears throat> that mostly relies in their blue color, so it doesn't really tie into the whole... Um, damage or getting into that damage that's mostly within blue you can get some payoffs if you add black into it but um, a lot of the blue spells that are great for that are going to be merfolk that turn lands into islands so you can make sure that a lot of the merfolk that have island walk are able to deal damage or um, there are some lords so lords being a tribal creature that supports other creatures of that tribe by giving them bonuses. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Master of the Pearl Trident is a 2-2 two -two for 2 blue that is a merfolk that gives other merfolk plus 1, plus 1, an island block. And so once you have this creature out on the field, if any, land, if any players control islands, you're able to deal damage directly to them. Yeah, what I was sort of leading towards is that... Uh... There are cards that have been played in previous ver previous versions, like Spreading Seas or Seas Claim, that could potentially trigger some of those enchantments. Could potentially bridge a little bit of that uh, Merfolk to enchantment um, gap. Oh, for Tuvasa, you're you are correct, um, but also Tuvasa does uh, focus on a um, Voltron strategy as well by making her really big. So it's going to be very different from a merfolk. If you want to support Tuvasa, it's going to be very different from a typical merfolk deck. And if you want to use a typical merfolk deck, Tuvasa is going to be a very minimal part of it and only just occasional support if you are drawing the enchantments. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's certainly some other just general good stuff like Smothering Tithe that you could throw yeah. into a deck like that. So. It's a viable commander, and there are ways to sort of bridge that gap. It's still not necessarily what you usually consider to be merfolk, and you probably wind up having to play some cards that are somewhat subpar just to get the themes to work together. Exactly. <clears throat> the other big consideration to make is, does having to use those subpar cards in order to support a banned commander or a Azorius Merfolk deck. There are only really three or four white Merfolk cards that support the Merfolk tribe. Does using those subpar cards warrant or count, does the negative counter the pluses that you get from the access to those white cards? Um, I built Kumena because I felt that having a sorcery that creates two blue Merfolk tokens and a one one or a one two white merfolk that when it becomes tapped creates another merfolk token i just didn't think it was worth um making a commander that couldn't profit like kumena did with merfolk synergies so who is kumena or, or at least what is the card <clears throat> So Kumena came out from Rivals of Ixalan um, and was the second set in the Ixalan block. And Kumena is, for one colorless green and blue, is a 2-4 Merfolk Shaman. And it is the most popular Merfolk commander according to EDH Rec, um, which is uh, 2,096 decks out of the... Um, total 3,000 or so. So one aspect so Kumena's abilities are that you're able to tap Merfolk in order to gain card advantage or power advantage by tapping three Merfolk. You draw a card by tapping five Merfolk. You can put a plus one, plus one counter on each Merfolk you control. 
and by tapping only one, you can make Kumena unblockable, but usually the second two abilities are going to be much more of the focus of the deck. So, or the first two, I believe, but... So the th one of the things that jumps out to me is that, unlike other merfolk, so one of the things that's true about quite a lot of merfolk is that they have low mana values and uh, moderate stats. So they may be somewhat aggressively costed, but there aren't going to be like a lot of big ones. They have to become yeah, big together. Yeah, the ones that are big are, are absurd amounts of mana, like Tishdana, Voice of Thunder, that's seven mana. Or... I have made a deck around it, though. What? I have made a deck around her, though. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I run it in my Kumena deck. I'm just saying the ones that are big are very high-costed. Mm -hmm. So most of the... I'm agreeing with you that most of the merfolk are cheap yep. with low power and able to get that tiny amount of damage regularly. I, was, I also note, though, they have relatively moderate to modest toughness which is one of the areas that Kumena is different. Uh, with four toughness, that means that, it, that a lot of the red board wipes that do damage are unable to take her out, uh, to take uh, Kumena out. Yeah, so Kumena does avoid a lot of things, like Bolt, and is very survivable. Um, there are also so many merfolk that support counter magic and stuff like that so you can really reliably um with this strategy protect your commander um which is also true for sig but not really for the other merfolk options that you have awesome <clears throat> so kumena is particularly good with a relatively wide board Exactly. So the other thing is when you're building Kumena, you want to also support the strategy of untapping your spells, or not spells, your creatures, so that you can use those abilities multiple times per turn or on opponent's turns. So some of the really key cards to be running that aren't Merfolk are Merkfiend Liege, which is a two-colorless blue-green, 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 so five total, three of which is hybrid, um, that untaps all green and blue creatures that you control on everyone's untapped step. It also buffs your creatures, but being able to, on every opponent's turn, say, hey, I'm going to draw one card, or I'm going to draw three cards by tapping three to nine merfolk, however many you have, is insane card advantage if you can keep doing that on everybody's turn. And you can still hold them up as blockers. Mm -hmm. It's also important that you're able to maintain a consistent board state. So <clears throat> you probably need some cards in there that are able to protect your board. Yeah, so I was mentioning earlier that there are a lot of counter spells um, that I run in this deck. There's also one kind of pseudo Kumena card that is probably one of the best win conditions in this deck which is Lull Mage Mentor. And Lull, Lull Mage Mentor is a 1-blue-blue 2-2 two -two Merfolk Wizard that you can tap 7 Merfolk you control, so like an, another 2 Merfolk from Kumena's biggest ability, to counter target spell. Mm -hmm. And he also puts a Merfolk every time you successfully counter a spell or ability. Mm -hmm. So... With him on uh, him out on the battlefield, and if you have a lot of merfolk, you can reliably counter a lot of the board wipes that you're getting. And so there are a lot of effects like that that you can use in order to protect your board state oh, as well. Oh, do you have intruder alarm in there? Yeah, so I was going to get to that okay. later, but um, that's Sorry. another one of the great win <laughs> conditions um, and combo pieces. I was going to say, that, that creates a, a lock. Yeah, so I've been able to, on many occasions, um, in response to anyone creating a creature with Intruder Alarm, you can tap all your merfolk in order to draw cards or put plus one plus one counters with Kumena, and then they all untap when that creature enters the battlefield. But with Low Mage Mentor, since it creates a merfolk every time you successfully counter a spell, 
you have infinite counter spells because whenever a merfolk enters the battlefield, it's going to untap all of your merfolk to be able to counter a spell again. Mm -hmm. So other than whatever is already out on the board, you essentially hard lock the table. Exactly. The only way that people can get past that is by um, responding to the counter with another removal spell while you don't have seven merfolk out. Because the creating the um, merfolk is on the stack until you finish countering the spell. Mm -hmm. So it does leave some opportunity for opponents to work together and yeah. someone can cast Doomblade on Kumena, I counter it, and someone in response casts Rapid Hybridization, or not on Kumena, on Low Mage Mentor. And in response, Rapid Hybridization, the Low Mage Mentor. Or Cross and Grips, the um, Intruder Alarm, or well, something like that. If it's Crows and Grip, then you can't respond to it. Oh, yeah, you can't respond to that anyways. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> naturalize, or whatever you choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just uh, it's interesting how some of those interactions work and how you're able to use them both offensively and defensively. Because that, that, to me, is the hallmark of being a blue tribe, is that you're able to oscillate between offense and defense. Exactly, and so with Kumena as your commander, you're able to get that card advantage by having untapped blockers that you can then tap to draw cards. But also you can tap five at the end of your opponent's turn in order to make your board huge with plus one, plus one counters and swing out. So Kumena is like the perfect example of what you just described. And it's interesting because Low Mage wasn't entirely what I was thinking of when I was talking about uh, being able to protect your board. I was thinking more of like when you're in green and you have an army deck, you have Rap and Vigor, you have uh, Heroic Intervention which are, I mean, they could very well still be in there. Yeah. I also run things like Steely Resolve that give all your Merfolk Shroud because usually yes. when people um, are trying to deal with a problem in Merfolk, it's one creature that's creating the big problem. Mm -hmm. Because all your other Merfolk are just maybe some lords or uh, that are buffing your creatures a little bit or it's one special merfolk that's drawing you an extra card per turn, but when it's something like Lull Mage Mentor or Kumena in general, it's one target, and being able to give all your creatures Shroud or Ward or something like that is really important. Oh, absolutely. In fact, they kind of created Ward. Yeah, Kopala, Warden of Waves, was the first one that uh, effectively gives all merfolk Ward 2, but... Um, was spelled out before Ward existed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> we've gotten a lot into green and blue. So, they have little guys, they have lords, and they have ways to sort of get around bigger creatures. Uh, yeah. What happens if you're against, say, a life gain deck? Um, one of my favorite cards for this is Simic Ascendancy. So Simic Ascendancy is a green-blue enchantment for one green and one blue. Mm -hmm. And whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on a creature you control, put that many growth counters on Simic Ascendancy. At the beginning of your upkeep, if Simic Ascendancy has 20 or more growth counters on it, you win the game. So that is one of the main win cons of Kumena, actually, in my opinion because you have this built-in ability to tap only five merfolk to put plus one, plus one counters on each merfolk you control. So if you have ten merfolk out and you play Simic Ascendancy, you can win on your next upkeep if people can't deal with the Simic Ascendancy or you. I love alternate win counts like that. And uh, Have you actually managed to get that to work? Yes, I have quite a few times, especially when you have um, things like Merkfiend Liege or Seedborn Muse, mm -hmm. and you can untap all of your Merfolk to do that. I've been able to win with only three Merfolk doing oh, that. Beautiful. Because um, I would just... Or no, not tap, sorry. Or not three, sorry, five Merfolk. Because then I could just tap them, 
untap, tap, untap, tap, untap, because I was able to do that on everybody's turn and still hold up them as blockers, and a couple of them were lords, it didn't take many merfolk to win on my next turn. Because you can also tap the five merfolk in response to the Simic Ascendancy trigger on your upkeep after you've untapped. So you still have that one last window where if you have enough merfolk, you can still win. Mm-hmm. Um, other options that you have are, like we were talking about earlier, even if you are against a life gain deck, you can tap one uh, merfolk in order to make Kumena unblockable. And you can still get that chip damage in, like we were talking about giving players island walk. And you can win with commander damage. You can tap merfolk, five merfolk to make him bigger over time, or you can have the lull mage mentor out to kind of in, infinitely lock out your opponent until you can deal that commander damage. It just really depends on what you're able to draw. But luckily, because of the way that Kumena works, you're usually going through most of your deck over the course of a game. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, so let's see. So most merfolk are relatively small. So outside of, say, lords and some of those upper echelon finishers, how do you sort of fill in some of the early drops? So that's one thing that I really noticed over the course of my playing this deck is I found that two things are true within Commander with Kumena. One, your power level scales with the number of players you're playing against because of those untapped. So the more players you have, the more you're able to take advantage of those abilities. But also, as the game has progressed and become faster and faster and faster, Merfolk just has had some difficulty keeping up with that because um, they are not a particularly fast tribe in order to get the ball rolling. Like, you can run a bunch of ramp, but you really need to have a high number of Merfolk out in order to win and develop that board presence that we were talking about. So filling in those early drops are really important, but in my opinion, most of my early drops that aren't lords or like the harbingers that search for a specific merfolk, most of that is filled with ramp in order to try and get to a board state that I can actually start getting a value engine out um, as early as possible. Luckily though, um, I'm just gonna pull up my Kumena list to look at my, my mana curve quickly. Mm-hmm. Because I believe that most of my merfolk uh, that aren't absolute haymakers, and there's only like five of them, are going to be in the three to f- uh, the two to four um, CMC range. So you don't get those like early one drops very often. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple, like Kosi's Trickster, which helps um, deal with opponents that are searching for lands a lot, which is a one mana that gets buffed every oh, time yeah. someone searches their library. You've got the Benthic Biomancer that you can run, which doesn't really support Merfolk, but is just a one mana uh, Merfolk. But um, over a quarter of my deck uh, is two mana. And another 20 cards are three mana. So you do have a really good early board presence. And by constantly drawing cards, you're able to take advantage when you do have large amounts of mana. Awesome. <clears throat> so, yeah, so do you, do you wind up having to use some changelings in there to try to shore up the numbers? I actually don't. I find that, um, well, for one thing, personally, when I build tribal decks, I try to avoid changelings because, to me, it feels a little bit disingenuous to the theme. Mm -hmm. Not hating on anybody that does that. It's just not like, it's not how I like to build decks, and I do a lot of tribal. 
So if I were to include changelings, I'd see a lot of similarities between all of my decks. Um, and I find that the deck actually runs really well um, if you're only using merfolk. And I mean, I only have three non-merfolk creatures, and they're Seaborn Muse, Merkfiend Liege, and uh, Sea Hunter, which essentially is critical to a merfolk deck. Sea, sea Hunter is two colorless, two blue for a 2-2 mercenary. It's a really old card. And um, tap Sea Hunter and pay three mana to search your library for a merfolk and put it into play. Oh. So, is what? it a reserveless card? I I know that some um, that it's gotten it's gotten a lot of popularity recently. Um, I'm not sure about that. I, I know it uh, got a lot of attention from when Ixalan was printed. But we haven't had a really focus on Merfolk since then. Um, we've had some good Merfolk come out, but not like a Merfolk-themed uh, set. So I haven't seen it uh, garnered that much attention since then. But it is really important to the deck. And I have no others um, that are non-Merfolk in the deck, and I find that it still works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other great synergies with untapping by having access to a lot of big mana. So something like High Tide is a great way to get a lot of mana if you can untap your lands multiple times per turn. Or um, if you have a Gaia's Cradle um, or Growing Rites of Idlam or a Nykthos. Um, Nykthos and um, Marrow Regery is an amazing uh, combination of cards for Merfolk to get nearly infinite mana. Mm -hmm. uh, Marrow Regery is a two mana, or a three mana uh, Merfolk that whenever a Merfolk enters the battlefield, um, you can untap target permanent, and so you can tap a land, you can untap a land to get a lot of mana if it creates a lot of mana. Actually, an interesting... Uh, so another interesting way, if we're going back to the earlier just general concept of maybe a Tuvasa deck, putting uh, a bunch of land enchantments on uh, to on land and then untapping it with Rejury sounds like a pretty good game. Re? Um... And I think that you could definitely build that, but when you're seeing how the format is evolving and yeah. people are really tuning their decks mm -hmm. to be as efficient as possible, I think the main reason that the tapping and untapping synergy works well with Kumena is because Kumena himself uh, relies on tapping your Merfolk and generating that value. Mm -hmm. And... So this deck really does rely on the commander to be present mm -hmm. and suffers a lot to things like Kenra's Transformation or Dark Steel Mutation, stuff like that. Heavy commander removal. Somebody happens so to be playing I, like a Pything Needle. What? Somebody happens to be playing like a Pything Needle. Yeah, so you have to find a way to get rid of that, <laughs> yep. uh, that artifact. But um, for that reason, I wonder if Tuvasa would, even if you include a lot of the enchantment synergy and stuff like that, um, the untapping doesn't really come into play as often. Make, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's not going to be as reliable of a me mechanic to focus on. Absolutely. So, how do you? How does the table usually react when you say that Kumena is your commander? Um, if I'm with new playgroups, people are usually like, "Oh, that's really interesting. I haven't seen many Merfolk decks, and they're interested to see how it plays." Mm -hmm. um, if I'm playing at my card shop or with a few specific friends, they've seen that the how the deck works and they recognize certain pieces, and they just know to 
try to keep Kamena off the table and to make sure that I have protection in my hand before I play important pieces to the deck strategy, like Intruder Alarm or something like that. So um, that's kind of part of the course for any commander that you're running that you know people may not react well to if they know how the deck works. But that's why you have to include counter magic and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you still want to disrupt the balance of... Uh... Of the the amount of Merfolk in there, so that that's where finding things like Will Mage Mentor that are a counter spell on a stick that works with your strategy and happens to be of the tribe, it's really nice. How about like uh, Curse Catcher? I find that Curse Catcher isn't great because it's only one, uh, one uh, time, and you have to get rid of the Merfolk in order yeah. to use it. I find that I want my Merfolk to stick around as long as possible. So mm -hmm. I would rather run things, and I was actually just about to mention these. Um, you don't only have to rely on mana for card advantage because there are so many other great ways in blue and green that Merfolk can gain card advantage in this deck with things like Reflections of Litjara that whenever you make a Merfolk, you get to make another, and you can use their abilities multiple times now. Ooh. Or... Things like Kindred Discovery and Guardian Project that whenever you uh, make a, whenever you play a Merfolk or a Merfolk enters the battlefield, um, you can draw a card. Or Teferi's Ageless Insight that whenever you draw a card, draw two instead. Being able to go through your deck as much as possible and having ways to make sure that you have no maximum hand size is really essential to make sure that you're getting the protection that you need and able to get the cards that function together well. Yeah, it's also a reason that I don't feel this deck needs tutors, mm -hmm. other than something like Sea Hunter, um, because being able to search through so many cards, as well as having access to some merfolk that already bring out other merfolk and draw cards, you don't really need worldly tutor, mystical tutor, stuff like that. Yeah, it's cool to see how the different fish in the sea sort of work together. <clears throat> yeah, they... exactly. They really rely on each other. Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of how the ocean works, right? Sorry, what? So this is kind of how the ocean works. Uh, oh, yeah. So... Granted, some of it's predation, but... Yeah, I mean, there, it's like Qui-Gon Jinn said, there's always a bigger fish. Mm -hmm. Um... But, yeah, it, this is really a pet deck of mine. I'm currently working on foiling it out. Awesome. Um, and it's really cool to see where the artists draw their inspiration from and how they combine popular culture motifs with actual fish and um, biology and stuff like that. So um, the so deck really does not succeed well unless you have a variety of merfolk and lots of them on the table. Mm -hmm. So what are some of your favorite uh, real-life fish that are shown on cards? Your favorite, like, crossovers between real-life fish and cards? Um, so my favorite, I actually keep one of these in my wallet. It's not a fish, but um, it is a crab. Mm -hmm. Um Horseshoe crab is my favorite animal, and uh, they have a card of it, so I keep a foil one in my wallet because I think it's cool. Awesome. And I have a deck that, uh, a Marisol deck that relies on it pretty heavily. Um, they've made some really cool sharks, I, and um, I think there's um, one really old card that's just literally a great, yeah, giant shark, which mm -hmm. is literally just a great white shark or they've made hammerhead shark mm -hmm. <laughs> oh then they like made that, uh, I think those are really cool yeah then they made shark um, typhoon and just kind of jumped the shark <laughs> yeah yeah um as far as merfolk though um you can't really see specific species uh very often but you can see inspiration from like Oh, the Ixalan ones are really heavily based on freshwater fish. And the um, Theros 
uh, merfolk that have the super high fins are really um, heavily inspired by ocean fish, and, like deep ocean fish and marlins and sailfish and stuff like that. And um, that's just really cool to... And I actually wrote an article about this topic for EDH rep on fungi and where the fungus cards draw, the artists draw inspiration from the real world to try and make the cards look reasonably accurate and believable. And um, yeah, I really like the representation of the ocean that they've done through Merfolk and yeah, that's why this is my favorite deck. Awesome. I wonder if they were to ever create, say, a uh, uh, like a, a prehistoric themed uh, block. Well, say something sort of like Ixalan, or they have dinosaurs, but let's say they made like armored fish merfolk. Yeah, so there are, like, a lot of prehistoric fish, like uh, Dunkleosteus, which is the really huge one with the nasty jaws that were completely bony and armored, and Mm -hmm. that would be cool to see really different depictions of merfolk, or maybe seeing merfolk that look like whales or something like that. It would be really cool for them to explore more varieties of what they could do with that. Uh were selkies considered merfolk, or were they something different? So selkies, um, in our mythology as humans, um, were part seal, um, not part fish. And so when you look at selkies uh, in magic history, I think there's only two, maybe three. Yeah, there's three. You can see that they like have the lower bodies of seals, except for cold-eyed selkie, because you can only see its uh, eyes and nose. Mm-hmm. But um, those are merfolk in magic. Okay, that's but, what I was trying um, to make sure. I, I forgot their creature typing. Yeah, they're still merfolk. Okay, um, so that might be where you, you might be able to get into some of the whales, because those were based off of uh, seals, I believe, which are mammals. So that's getting yep. at least closer in physiology. Yeah, or I really like how they also have homerids and stuff like that. Just doing more weird stuff with ocean animals mm-hmm. is really cool. Yeah, what I was thinking of, I was talking about the ancient fish would be like the wreckfish, which are which actually are still around to an extent. The what fish? Uh, wreckfish. So that was what so I was thinking which- of. So wreckfish are... Ah, uh, yes, okay. Um, maybe I'm using the <laughs> wrong vernacular. <laughs> yeah, so there aren't many, um, like, armored fish still today. There are a lot that have, like... It would be cool if blue and black merfolk could kind of delve more into um, death-touch fish, like venomous fish and stuff like that as well, I think would be really cool. As a different approach to that. That could be interesting. Um, I think it would also be yeah. cool if they had, uh, if they may, I know that they have some cards that have piranhas on them, but it'd be kind of cool if they, uh, if they address like schooling. Kind of. Yeah, I actually, my friend and I, um, in college made our own cards and our own draft set and schooling was a mechanic that I actually came up with and tried to make work and it was basically uh, if I remember correctly it was kind of like mitotic slime where you make one creature and it when it dies it becomes less creatures and so I had tried to make uh, fish cards that or something like that, where when you played it, you could either play it as two one ones, or you could play it as a 3-3 three, three that became a 1-1, one, one, or two one ones or something like that for Morana. There was the card that, in terms of there's always a bigger fish, that goes from being a fish to being a... Uh, Reef worm. Yeah. 
Yeah, so reform goes into a fish, which then becomes a whale. And the whale token is actually a prehistoric whale, which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, and then the whale turns into a kraken once the whale dies. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that you have a Taishana deck? Yes. Uh, my Taishana deck is it, it's different from what you might expect. It's not a merfolk deck, really. It's, it is sort of tribal, though. It's a Maro tribal deck. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. So that's what I find with most of the other uh, blue-green merfolk commanders is that they don't really lend themselves to merfolk that often, usually to other strategies. Maro is a really cool one to work on. Yeah, Jimmy Wong, I think, tried to make Tishana merfolk work on a, on a game nights. Yeah, and then I think he rebuilt it as Kumena. Nice. I don't remember. I don't remember that, but I think it might have. Uh, I think it happened on a. Or maybe uh, Jumbo uh, Commander did a Commander deck or something like that. Maybe. I. I mean, I, I wouldn't put it past him to put that on like a. Uh, oh, extra turns, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's that may have been what I'm thinking mm-hmm. of. Oh, yeah, I'm in, uh, so I'm in my kick right now where I'm designing decks that I call red-eye decks because I work really hard and I don't really sleep a lot, and so I'm trying to build decks that I can play on stream that don't require necessarily a ton of thought, so what they do is relatively linear. So yeah. that deck, there are 20 cards that are the general synergy or uh, game-winning parts. And 10 of them are Maros, and 10 of them are things that make creatures unblockable. So uh-huh. the idea of the deck is draw a ton of cards, uh, make a Maro creature unblockable, and smack somebody with it. That makes sense, yeah. It has worked twice, <laughs> and it's only been, <laughs> it's been played three times, so not bad. Nice. Yeah, usually the, uh, my Kumana deck wins with either Civic Ascendancy locking people out or just massive merfolk armies. Um, and being able to outvalue people with like the synergy of making a lot of mana through something like Cryptolith Rite or uh, whatever access uh, or whatever combo uh, I'm able to put together. But also I love running something like Dream Halls that just lets you vomit your entire hand onto the battlefield, and then you also get to draw cards and just keep playing them. I just find that so much fun. And it feels like it wins very linearly, but the way that you get to that win is always different. And that's what I really like about uh, Merfolk decks. Awesome. So yeah, I like how they can play different. They can have a few different types of win conditions they can support. Uh, probably my favorite thing about Merfolk is how they work together. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm a natural combo player, which is kind of weird to say because not a lot of people are. But combo is my natural element, and I, I like how the pieces of a deck work together to make the individual cards better. Yeah. Seize Claim, not a great card. Seize Claim enabling all of your Merfolk to get through, yeah, pretty darn good. Now, there's a reason yeah. why they haven't made the blue, the blue version of Yavamaya or Urborg yet. Yeah, I... Something tells me that that's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... I, I'm not sure what it is yet. I don't know. It, it might just be the kick in the pants that modern Merfolk needs, though. Maybe, maybe. I, I don't play modern, I only play commander, so um, yeah. I know that that's a lot more of what I think the professor talks about when it comes to Merfo, mm-hmm. um, being competitively viable and stuff like that. Um, I just have no experience with that, and my understanding is that you usually go mono-blue rather than with blue-green, because like I said, Kumena, Kumena's power level varies wildly depending on how many opponents you have and the more you have the less attention is on you the more you can build the board presence and the more untapped steps you can get from your combo pieces so it's not going to do well on -on one-on-one 
Mm-hmm. It mine never does well one on one. Yeah, that would then that would wind up being the tricky thing. <clears throat> uh, I was talking about modern though. I actually I haven't played modern in a long time. I I, I don't really even play one on one games anymore. Yeah, exactly. Same with me. It's mostly been since I started uh, streaming, and uh, I started uh, initially. I was streaming a lot of arena. But if I didn't yeah. get the high viewership, then it just felt like I was alone. And I didn't really want that. So I decided I was going to try to get the consistent... Uh, try to see if I can get consistent EDH games. Because at least, even if nobody showed up in the stream, I didn't feel like I was alone for an hour, basically. Yeah, yeah. So... I gotcha. Spell table made that a lot easier. Yep, and that's actually why I created the, the skull symbol, uh, which is the, the Discord server, uh, because I just uh, I wanted to get those games to fire consistently. I didn't think it was going to be a an almost three hundred person thing. Now, <laughs> I never expected that. Yeah, that's pretty pretty great. Um, <laughs> I just I'm currently moving and haven't been able to set up a spell table yet. Oh yeah. Um, can't wait to. Be able to. I've been going to my local game store occasionally once or once or twice a month, but um, hoping to be able to get some more games in soon um, once I'm all settled in. Awesome. Well, the skull symbol's there for you. You can always just lurk in there for a little bit and or mute it, and then eventually, when you're ready, just look for games if you want. Uh, it's just a awesome supportive community in there, mostly casual players. Uh, but where can the people find you? Um, I actually am not really on social media anymore. Um, you can find a lot of my, uh, old EDHREC articles on EDHREC by searching up Christian. I used to do the Playgroup Groove series and, um, uh, the Scrambleverse series, but I just kind of petered off once I started intensely working on my master's degrees. Um, and I used to do all the social media for EDHREC and Commander's Herald, so that's where I used to tell people to uh, come find me, but um, that has since been, that torch has since been passed on to someone else. So, unfortunately you will only find me in the occasional podcast with EDHREC affiliates. Well, Thankfully, I am now one of those. <laughs> it's been uh, it's been an honor to have you on, and look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you. Yeah, I love talking about tribes, and I'm happy to talk more. Awesome.